0: Alright, we're in a series called Holy Ghost, and to be honest, this series has gone on a lot longer than I thought it would go. Uh, But I'm excited about it, because the first week we talked about the person of the Holy Spirit, who He is, what's His role in the life of a believer. We talked about the presence of the Holy Spirit, we talked about the power of the Holy Spirit, and laid a biblical foundation uh, for the Holy Spirit And now we are moving into a topic about uh, the gifts of the Spirit. We've been talking about uh, the the different gifts of the Spirit specifically. And last week we talked about the gift of tongues. Today we are going to talk about the gift of prophecy. And it's going to be a two-part message. Uh, Today's teaching is going to be mostly... um, Well, today's message is going to be mostly a teaching. We're going to lay the ground, lay the foundation for the gift of prophecy And next week is part two. We're going to talk about more of the application of it in our church and and how do you use it? How do you hear from God? What are what are some ways to know like this is God's voice speaking to me? How do I know that it's God, not my own voice? And 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 what is the way that Paul instructs us in the book of First Corinthians to prophesy in a public setting? So today we're going to lay some groundwork. Uh, I've, I've been saying this throughout our talk on gifts of the Spirit. All Christians, if you're a believer, if you follow Jesus, we are all called to show mercy to others. We're called to have faith. We are called to hear the voice of God. We are all called to discern what's right and wrong. We are called to encourage. We are called to give. All of the gifts of the Spirit that we see listed in 1 Corinthians are something that every believer is called to step into at some point in their life. But as I've said before... And if you're taking notes, write this down again if you haven't written it down. Whatever is not a spiritual gift becomes a spiritual discipline. Whatever is not a spiritual gift, whatever the Holy Spirit hasn't given you a grace for, a natural gifting for, becomes for you a spiritual discipline. I like to use this example. My, my mother and I, we went to the Foursquare uh, Connection in Florida um, last spring and we used, we used it as an opportunity to hit up Disneyland and Universal Studios. And if you've ever spent money to go to Universal Studios or Disneyland, you quickly realize, wow, I am spending a lot of money to stand in line. Right? And so we're, we're there, and, and we're in line for uh, – we went to, to Disneyland one day. We're in line for two and a half hours, almost three hours for a Star Wars ride. And, and as we're standing in line, we see all these people with fast passes just rolling by. They're just walking to the front of the line. And so what becomes a a two-and-a-half-hour wait for us is becoming a a five-and-a-half-minute wait for the people in the line. And that is the difference between a spiritual gift, having a spiritual gift, and learning the discipline of that gift. Learning to walk in mercy. Church, can I tell you that mercy is my lowest spiritual gift? But I've had to walk in the discipline of it. I've had to learn how to do that a little bit better. And so I rely on people in my life. There are people in this church that have that gift, and I rely heavily on those people. And I look for people who have giftings outside of my own so I can pull them into my circle. And that we complete each other, don't we, church? Paul says we are the body of Christ, and each one of us has a different function. Some recommended readings uh, that I'm going to be using a lot of these quotes today um, there's two books by Pastor Ben Dixon. He pastors in uh, Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington, here in Federal Way. But he wrote a book called Hearing God by Ben Dixon. He's also got another book called Prophesy. And these two books are fantastic. I, I encourage you to pick them up. There's another book called The Promise of the Father by Dr. Steve Shell. And lastly, um, Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. The book is like this thick, but you don't have to read the whole thing. You can go to like a section of it, and it's incredibly helpful if you want to learn more about the gifts of the Spirit and who the Holy Spirit is. So those are some recommended readings as we get started. But turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're going to dive right in to what Paul says. 1 Corinthians 14, verses 1 through 5. If you don't have a Bible with you or... You can even open up your phone. We're going to have it on the screen. It says this Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, for their encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Now, when Paul says that the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, he is not he is not putting value on the people with a gift of prophecy over the people with a gift of speaking in tongues. They are no more valuable. They have no more significance in the kingdom of heaven. But when Paul says that the, the one who prophesies is greater, he is saying that prophecy is a gift that is corporate. It's used for the edification of the entire church, whereas tongues is an individual edification, unless there's an interpretation, then it's an edification for the whole church. And so Paul puts an emphasis on the gifts that edify the congregation, on edify the church as a whole. And so Paul says, I'd rather you operate in the gifts that edify the entire church. Prophecy being one of those gifts. And so he says that that is the greater gift. Paul, throughout his writings, he emphasizes prophecy. He emphasizes prophecy over many other gifts. He says in verse 1. To eagerly desire gifts of the spirit. Especially prophecy. And then in verse 39 of the same chapter. He says be eager to prophesy. Be eager to prophesy. There are six lists of spiritual gifts in the Bible. And Paul made five of those six lists. Peter made the last one. But prophecy is the only gift included in each of those Lists of spiritual gifts except for first corinthians 7 7 where paul talks about marriage and celibacy as spiritual gifts But prophecy is included in every in five of the six lists of spiritual gifts that we have Prophecy is so important because paul says it's used to strengthen And that word in the greek means to build up or promote one's growth in christian wisdom happiness and holiness it is to build somebody up, to help them grow in holiness, to help them grow in wisdom, to strengthen them. He also says it's used to encourage and to comfort. And then he also adds this about prophecy in verses 24 and 25. When he talks about uh, unbelievers, when he co- talks about people who are who are curious about the gospel and they come to church, this is what he says the, the importance or the effect of prophecy has on people who come to the church curious about the gospel. He says, but if any unbeliever or inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Paul is saying that prophecy uh, reveals to people that God still speaks to his people. He still speaks to his children. He communicates through them, and it's used to attract others to Jesus. It's used to attract others to God, that when people hear a prophetic word over their life, they're convicted of their sin, and they realize God is speaking to his people. He's alive, and they fall down and worship God. And so prophecy is of utmost importance in the church. It was in the first century. It still is today. Let me talk for a minute about the difference between Old Testament prophets and New Testament prophecy oftentimes we get these two things confused and think that the function and the uh, the way that we prophesy today was the same as the old testament that 's not true let me tell you a little bit about Old Testament prophets Old Testament prophets had an incredible responsibility so Old testament this is before before Jesus was born this is this is a uh, this is who God was using to communicate to his people. Old Testament prophets had an incredible responsibility. They were able to speak and write the words of God that had absolute divine authority. And their words were the very words of God. Whatever a prophet said in the Old Testament, that was the exact words of God and we see this over and over through examples in scripture. One example is in Numbers 2238. There's this famous story of a prophet named Balaam whose donkey spoke to him. God made his donkey speak to him. And he says this in Numbers 2238. He says, "I can't say whatever I please. I must speak only what God puts in my mouth." In Exodus 6 Verses 28 through chapter 7, verse 1, when the Lord commissions Moses to go to Pharaoh in Egypt and speak, the Lord says this. Now, when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I tell you. But Moses said to the Lord, since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Then the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh And your brother Aaron will be your prophet. Not I have made you a God, but I've made you like God. In other words, you are going to communicate on my behalf, Moses. When you speak to Pharaoh, the words that you say are going to be my words to Pharaoh. Last example, Deuteronomy 18. This was said about Moses. Deuteronomy 18, verse 18. uh, God says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you, Moses, ...from among their fellow Israelites... ...and I will put my words in his mouth... ...he will tell them everything I commanded him... ...I myself will call... ...to account anyone who does not... ...listen to my words... ...that the prophet speaks in my name... ...but a prophet who presumes to speak... ...in my name... ...anything I have not commanded... ...or a prophet who speaks in the name... ...of other gods is to be put... ...to death... ...you may say to yourself... ...how can we know... When a message has not been spoken by the Lord, if what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. So in other words, prophecy in the Old Testament was bulletproof. It was bulletproof. So much so that we have scripture because of it. Our Old Testament prophets have written Much of the Old Testament. And whatever the Lord said to a prophet in the Old Testament, that was the exact words of the Lord. You did not disregard it. You did not disobey it. Imagine if Jonah went to Nineveh and said, Repent, the Lord is going to destroy this city in 40 days. And everybody was like, Yeah, but he could be getting that wrong. They would all have perished. But when a prophet of the Lord came up in the Old Testament, their words were the exact words of the Lord. Now, in the New Testament... There were also people who spoke and wrote God's very words and had them recorded in Scripture, but Jesus did not call them prophets. The ones who wrote and spoke Scripture in the New Testament were not called prophets. Instead, Jesus uses a new term. He calls them apostles. The apostles, not not New Testament prophets, but New Testament apostles are the counterpart to Old Testament prophets. Well, why did, why did Jesus use apostle instead of prophet? Why did he have to confuse us? Why didn't he just use the same term? Well, in the culture of the day, the Greek word for prophet, prophetes, at the time of the New Testament, it had a broad range of meanings. If you were to say you were a prophet, it could have meant many, many different things. It did not generally mean one who speaks the very words of God. Which is, in the Old Testament, when the word prophet was used, that's what it meant. One who speaks the very words of God. In the New Testament, in the Greek, it did not mean that. Uh, there's, in fact, we have many other writings outside of the Bible in the first century that use this Greek word that have no indication of divine authority. Some examples were one uh, first century writer described a philosopher as a prophet of a mortal nature. Another writer in the first century described a teacher is a prophet of truth or candor. Another one described a written history as the prophetess of truth. And another one even described a specialist in botany as a prophet. So if you were a specialist in botany, you were a prophet in the Greek at the time. So Jesus, he used a new term altogether. He, he referred to his disciples or the ones who had been with him as apostles. In Luke chapter 6 verse 13, It says, and when the day came, he called his disciples, this is Jesus, Jesus called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. Prophecy in the New Testament takes a different shape and has a different purpose than in the Old Testament. Let me describe for you three differences between old and new prophecy, Old Testament prophets and New Testament prophecy. Here's one big difference. Old Testament prophets wrote scripture. Old Testament prophets wrote scripture. Not all Old Testament prophets wrote scripture. But many of the books we have in the Old Testament were written by the prophets. And the point is that they received the exact words from God. They had so much authority that they, worked, they, they, they wrote the words that we would have for generations. Thousands of generations. And the difference today is today's prophecies are not included in scripture. While not all prophets of old wrote scripture, we know that some of them did, and that's no longer the function of prophets today, or prophecy today. It's no longer the function. Another huge difference between Old Testament prophets and the New Testament prophecy is that Old Testament prophets were mediators between God and people. That God-appointed prophets like Samuel and Moses and Joshua, he raised up people that were mediators between him and In Israel God called people like Moses Isaiah Jeremiah Jonah and many others to act as mediators and Moses would ascend to Sinai or go into a tent of meeting and then he would relay what was said to him to the people of Israel and so he was the mediator between God and the people and today's prophecies are not mediated messages. Today, the gift of prophecy that we operate in today, they are not mediated messages because now all of God's people can hear His voice. All of God's people are full of the Spirit and can hear God's voice for themselves. And so there's no need for a a mediator. In fact, Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus is now our mediator. That we have Jesus, so we have access to the Father face to face. And so the role of prophecy has changed from being the voice of God... To a voice from God. It's a voice from God. Another difference, the third difference right here, is that Old Testament prophets had exclusive authority. They had exclusive authority. You could disagree with an Old Testament prophet, or you could refuse to do what he said, but it usually meant that you would end up dead if you did that. Because they had exclusive authority from God. Like I said, Jonah went to Nineveh. He, de- he, he declared that the place was going to be destroyed in 40 days unless they repented. And he spoke with absolute authority. It was going to happen unless the people repented. And to disobey the, to disobey the prophet's words meant destruction. But today, prophecies do not carry exclusive authority. Prophecy is one of many gifts given to the church so that God's people can work as a team instead of having one person who has authority to speak about what God is doing, God has now created a body of Christ. He's created a body of believers that are all part of the same body. We all have different functions, but we work together in harmony and we are united as Jesus prayed in John 17. We work as a team together and that is God's heart for the church today. Now there's some similarities between Old Testament and New Testament prophecy. One similarity is this, that both hear the voice of god in various ways that if you look throughout the bible there were many ways that god spoke to his people sometimes it was audible sometimes it was through the mouth of a donkey sometimes it was through the wind or fire or something else god would speak to his people in many ways and today is the same that we hear the voice of god in many different ways Some of us encounter God deeply through scripture. We're going to talk more about this next week. Some of us encounter the voice of God when we are in worship or when we are in nature or when a friend who is a strong believer comes to us and speaks to us. The voice of the Lord comes to us then, but God still speaks in various ways. Another similarity is that both prophets and the old and the new, they have been anointed by the Holy Spirit to prophesy that the gift comes from the same person. The gift of prophecy comes from the Holy Spirit. It is a gift given to believers. It was a gift given to the prophets of old. And it's the gift that is given to us today. So what does Paul mean when he talks about the gift of prophecy in the New Testament? If the Bible is complete and no one else has authority to add to Scripture, then what is prophecy and what is the purpose of the church? Here's Two definitions that I offer you of prophecy, both of them are excellent. One definition is from Wayne Grudem in Systematic systematic Theology. He says, prophecy is telling something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. I really like the word spontaneously, because if you've ever spoke a word of prophecy, you know that it feels very spontaneous. It's something that the Lord gives you suddenly that he's asking you to share and the second definition comes from Ben Dixon in his book, Prophesy. He says, prophecy is a message inspired by God, communicated through a person. But I've combined the two. And today we're going to define it as this because I like the word spontaneously so much. It is a message spontaneously inspired by God, communicated through a person. Prophecy is a message spontaneously inspired by God, but communicated through. Through a person, one thing that we have to understand about prophecy when we talk about it in the church is there are really uh, two different kinds of prophecy, and this is what confuses a lot of people when talking about prophecy. Is there's a difference between foretelling and forthtelling? Two different functions of prophecy. the The prophetic ministry is a broad ministry. God has given us this gift in a very broad sense. And um, when the word prophecy is used, many people think of, of of the video game Halo. Anybody, any young people in here play Halo? Okay, we've got a few hands up over here. We think of the game Halo or Lord of the Rings or Star Wars when Kenobi is yelling to Anakin and Revenge of the Sith. You were supposed to be the chosen one. The prophecy said there was somebody who was going to bring balance to the force. Come on, any Star Wars fans in the room? Okay, you know what I'm talking about. Okay. When we think of prophecy, we think of this this like this fourth this foretelling idea, and what that example is is that is an example of foretelling. It's 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 declaring something that is still ha- that still has to happen into the future. It's a foretelling event. And this um, uh, so foretelling is, is primarily about predicting future events, regardless of their magnitude. It's similar to a meteorologist forecasting the weather. Relaying information about the weather will do in days to come. And we have many many examples of this. In both the Old and the New Testament. I'm just going to. Just run right through a couple of examples for you. In first Kings, it was prophesied that Israel would be divided into two kingdoms. Micah said that Jerusalem and the temple would be destroyed. Isaiah prophesied that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. Micah also said that the message or the, the, the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Zechariah prophesied the Messiah would be betrayed for thirty pieces of silver. Second Samuel the Messiah would, would be a descendant of King David. In Joel, Joel prophesied that the Holy Spirit would be poured out on all people. That was a foretelling. And even in Acts, we have New Testament examples. There was a man named Agabus who prophesied that there would be a great famine all over the world. And he also prophesied that the Jews would arrest Paul and hand him over. These are all examples of foretelling events that we see in the Bible. But there are also examples of forthtelling. And forth telling primarily involves declaring the truth of God in a current context. Declaring the truth of God in a current context. Pastor Ben Dixon, in his book, he compares it to the practice. I I like this example. He compares it to the practice of free writing. Where where you basically write down whatever comes to your heart or your mind without trying to figure out how it all flows together. But before you check out on me, the obvious difference between free writing and prophetic forthtelling is that with forthtelling the flow of words comes from god's spirit and not just our thoughts does that make sense that that when you when you're forthtelling when you're prophetically uh, declaring something on behalf of god when you are spontaneous when you be given a spontaneous inspired message by god sometimes you step up to the plate and god asks you to go to a person with courage and you begin to speak but the words that are given to you are coming from the spirit of god and not just your own thoughts here's some examples in scripture both the old and the new testament in numbers 11:26, eldad and medad prophesied among the israelites For Samuel 10, Saul prophesied in the midst of the company of prophets. We don't know what he prophesied. Uh, It wasn't recorded so that we could check it to see if it was true, to see if it was a foretelling event. And so many people believe that it was a foretelling moment, that he began to prophesy uh, about his current context, whatever God was giving him for his current context. In Acts chapter 2, Peter spoke by the Spirit, That what the believers were experiencing and the people were witnessing was the fulfillment of the prophecy from the book of Joel. Acts 19. The disciples at Ephesus were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to prophesy. 1 Corinthians 14. Paul told the Corinthian church that prophecy would disclose the secrets of the heart. And cause people to recognize the reality and presence of God. So Paul even says in this chapter that we've been reading. In 1 Corinthians 14. That when you prophesy. It's in the context of what's happening right now. That people. That the secrets of their heart would be laid bare. That they would come to repentance. They would be convicted of their sin. And so as you speak a word of prophecy. It has to do with what, what's, with what is happening right now. In the context of the room. That is the difference between foretelling. In forth telling. So we know that as we read scripture, we have examples that show us that prophecy today is not the same. It does not carry the same authority as scripture. Some of you might have been raised in churches where someone gets on the stage and they say something like, Hear ye, hear ye the word of the Lord. Or thus saith the Lord. And then what is expected is that the next words out of their mouth are the exact words of God. And if that is the case, then if those are the exact words of God, you have to put it on the same level as Scripture, don't you? But we see throughout the Bible that prophecy today does not carry the same authority as Scripture because Scripture has been complete. It has been made perfect. It's done. We have, we have Scripture. And so it does not carry the same authority. Here's some examples to kind of back this idea up. It's a, these, these examples in Scripture support this idea. In Acts 21.4, Paul disobeys a word of prophecy. Paul disobeys a word of prophecy in Acts 21.4. Um, it says, and, and I think we have it on the screen, Acts 21.4. It says, we sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. And through the Spirit they urged paul not to go to jerusalem and then verse 15 it says after this we started on our way to jerusalem <laughs> see the the people that were with paul they got they they knew that paul was going to be persecuted they had a prophetic word from the lord that told them that paul was going to be persecuted but the application of that word was misplaced instead of using it as a word uh, of instruction or warning to Paul, they they tried to stop Paul from going altogether, and it was misplaced. Paul was supposed to go to Jerusalem, but the word of the Lord came to them and said that Paul would be persecuted. Paul wouldn't have disobeyed this prophecy if it contained God's very words that were equal to Scripture. Another example is in Acts twenty-one ten through eleven, Agabus, the man Agabus, he gives a partially accurate prophecy. It's partially, it's about two-thirds right. Agabus prophesied that the Jews at Jerusalem would bind Paul and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And his prediction was almost correct, but it was the Romans, not the Jews, that bound Paul. And the Jews, rather than delivering him, they tried to kill him, and he had to be rescued by force. And so... Agabus got a partially correct word. He knew that Paul would be bound. He knew that he would be captured, that he would be delivered somewhere. But he only got it partially right. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19-21. Paul tells Thessalonians, do not despise prophesying, but test everything. See, if, if the Thessalonians believed that prophecy equaled God's word and authority... He wouldn't have to tell them not to despise prophecy because we know that in other parts of the letter of Thessalonians, that they received and accepted God's word with joy from the Holy Spirit. That the Book of Thessalonians actually says that that church accepted God's word with joy. But then he has to tell them, "Do not despise prophesying." That Thessalonians did not hold prophecy and Scripture in the same category. In First Corinthians fourteen. Twenty nine through thirty eight. Paul instructs people to be silent with a prophetic word. So two or three prophets. This is verse twenty nine of First Corinthians fourteen. He says two or three pro- prophets should speak, as the and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. If Paul believed that prophecy was equal with Scripture and carried the same authority, he would not tell someone who is in the middle of prophesying to stop so another could speak. If that person, first person prophesying, if they have the very words of the Lord, they're, they're speaking the exact words of God, you do not tell them to be silent and sit down. You let them finish, right? And then the person can go after them. But instead, Paul says, no, if, if somebody else has a word, the first person says sit down and stop and allow the other person to continue. These are some examples of how we know that prophecy today does not carry the same authority of Scripture as it did in the Old Testament. Here's the true authority of prophecy. Like I said, it does not carry the same weight as Scripture. It submits under the authority of the Bible. Prophecy today submits to the authority of Scripture. But we also have to realize that the Holy Spirit still speaks new revelation to people that is in agreement with the Bible. The Holy Spirit is still speaking. He's still moving. He's still giving us words that strengthen and encourage and comfort us. The Holy Spirit is still doing a work today and we have to be open to hearing these words and sharing them with the church. Paul says that prophecy strengthens and encouraging comforts. It also convicts people of sin. Prophecy will not always be flowery, butterfly messages, but prophecy will also sometimes convict people of sin. It says that it reveals the secrets of their heart and cause people to worship God. How many of you have ever received a word over your life that has marked you, that has has given God, because when people speak a prophetic word over you, It is supposed to serve as a reminder of a promise that God has made over your life. And God keeps his promises. One example that I have over my life is that um, I I remember. I'm I'm wondering how I should share this. My mother, when I was a baby, she heard the Lord say that. And this this has been a verse or this has been a prophetic word over my life. She heard that the Lord say that I was going to be set apart like Samuel, that I wasn't supposed to do what other kids did. And to tell you the truth, church, uh, as I was growing up in our house, I got very frustrated at my mother because all my other friends could play Pokemon. All my other friends could watch Rugrats. All my other friends could go hang out with their girlfriends alone and go on dates. And I couldn't do any of those things. And, And my mom says, that's right. And I got so frustrated with my mother. And I would come to my mom and say, why can't I do these things? And my mom would look at me and say, because the Lord said that you are set apart, that you're not supposed to be like everybody else, that you can't do what everybody else does. And can I tell you, church, that that word over my life has brought me so much strengthening and encouragement in times of discouragement. When I feel like, when I feel like I'm not seen, when I feel like, when I'm just down in the dumps, when I feel like, like, life is just not going my way. I'm reminded of a word from the Lord that he has set me apart. And I know that the Lord has spoken words over your life. I know that the God has given you a, a promise. And if you have never had a prophetic word spoken of your life, they're all over Scripture. The promises of God are all over Scripture. And you are supposed to prophetically declare those verses over your life. Speak those verses over your life. When my son was being born, we were we were deciding whether or not to name him Gideon, and the other name I think was Silas, and Emmett. We had Silas, Gideon, and Emmett, and we were kind of tossing these names around. We didn't know. It was a few weeks before some of you were leaning to each other. Yeah, I like Emmett better. Yeah, I like that. That's why parents don't tell other people what they're going to name their children until after the kid is born. Okay. And so I remember we were kind of juggling these names together, and we went to a wedding a few weeks before our son was born. And as we ran into this couple at this church at this wedding, and they walked up to us and they said, Can I just tell you, uh, the Lord says that you are going to have a mighty warrior. And the name Gideon means mighty warrior. And we went, Oh, I think this is a word from the Lord. And a few weeks or about a week later... We, I think we were at church, and somebody, we hadn't told anybody what, what we were going to name the baby, but they, they look at us and say, the Lord has given you a mighty warrior. And we went, there it is again. Just the confirmation of the Lord, these prophetic words from people speaking into the life of our son, who had not yet been born. And so now we have the privilege, as Gideon gro- grows up, to remind him that the Lord has called you to be a mighty warrior. He's spoken this over your life. He has a call for you, son. Don't be afraid don't be intimidated. You're a mighty warrior And those words carry us through life church Prophetic words. They comfort us. They strengthen us. They encourage us. They are vital for the church today Now I understand that there's probably some people here That might think you know what Waiting for these spontaneous promptings of the holy spirit. It seems like too subjective of a process it's too subjective. I mean, there's too much room for error. We can't really know if God is speaking to us. You know, we've all had those, the, the, we've all had a voice in our head and, and it feels like God. But then we go, is this just me? Is, is this God or is this my head? Like, what is this? And so some people in this room, I think this is all too subjective of a, of a process, and this really is the argument for cessationism, that listen, like, we have scripture, we have the book is complete, we have the Bible, now there's no need for prophecy because it's just, it's too subjective of a process, and it's far too important to get wrong. And that, can, I, can I encourage you, can I make a humble observation, if you're in this room and this is your thought, it's often the people who make this objection who need this subjective process most in their own Christian life. I love what Wayne Grudem says in Systematic Theology. He says this, This gift requires waiting on the Lord, listening for Him, hearing His promptings in our hearts. And for Christians who are completely evangelical, doctrinally sound, intellectual, and objective, probably what is needed most is the strong balancing influence of a more vital subjective relationship with the Lord in everyday life. And these people are also those who have the least likelihood of being led into error. For they already place great emphasis on solid grounding in the word of God. If you're in this room and you say, Pastor, I value scripture far too much, far too much to believe that this is such a subjective process to submit this, this gift in a way like this. Can I tell you, you're probably the best for this job. You're probably the most capable of doing this well because you have scripture deeply embedded in your spirit and you have the word of God. And you'll know when the Lord speaks to you, you'll be able to compare it to scripture immediately and go, is this the word of the Lord? I think it is because I know that the Bible says this church. We need you. We need people like that who are willing to to have a passion and a love for the word of God, but also have a heart that says, God, I'm willing. I'm open. I'm listening to your voice. What are you saying to me? How do you want to build up your church? How do you want to strengthen your church today? I would like to lovingly remind everyone in this room that Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice. It's a fact. If you belong to Jesus, you recognize the voice of your father. Jesus also modeled what it looked like to speak prophetically into the lives of of people. And one of my favorite examples is when he looks at Peter. Peter, this wishy-washy, just arrogant, out-of-control disciple. He says, no, you're not going to be called Simon anymore, which means reed. Reed that is blown and bent by the wind. He says, no, I'm not going to call you Simon anymore, but you are Peter, which means the rock. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Imagine getting that word. And then a few verses later, Jesus looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. He's got a way of sticking the dagger in, pulling it out softly. But Jesus used prophecy. He used this gift from the Holy Spirit in his ministry and then he told us that we would do greater things. That we would do greater things than these. So let's answer the question. What are you saying, pastor? Can all prophesy? Can everybody prophesy? The short answer is no. Paul says in 1 Corinthians twelve twenty nine that not all people can prophesy. But, there's a big but. <laughs> yes. Thanks, mom. He does seem... Everybody get back on track, okay? Focus. Peter does seem to suggest that many people in the church will prophesy. And he encourages believers to earnestly desire the gift, to pursue it. He says this, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. And then in verse 31, he says, For you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. Paul does say that not everybody will have the gift of prophecy, but we all hear from the Lord, and we all have the ability to share words from the Lord to other people. Not everybody will prophesy, but I believe that this is a widespread gift, much like what we talked about last week with the gift of tongues. I think that the Holy Spirit has distributed this gift widely to people in the church, and and I think that we have... Stifled this gift because of the confusion and because of the fear and not really knowing what it is and not really knowing how to use it in church But but if we become a people that rely on the voice of god the fresh Words of god over the lives of people imagine what god can do In our church All believers can hear from god and should hear from god All believers can share what god is speaking to them Here's another quote from, I believe it's Wayne Grudem. He says, anyone who receives a revelation from God has permission to prophesy within Paul's guidelines. And it, the text, suggests that many will. Because of this greater openness to the gift of prophecy, uh, excuse me, because of this, greater openness to the gift of prophecy could help overcome the situation where many who attend our churches are merely spectators and not participants. Perhaps we are contributing to the problem of spectator Christianity by quenching the work of the spirit in this area. That we are all called to participate, to prophesy in turn. And next week we're going to talk about what that looks like and how to uh, how to test a prophecy. How to weigh a prophetic word and, and what that biblically looks like. As we close, I'm going to ask Mary to come up. But I wanted to share with you how this gift is. Can bless the church and how this gift is being used in our church today We have some prophetic people in the room some people with the gift of prophecy and Like I said, I believe that Everyone in this room can hear the voice of god But these are some of the words that the lord has spoken over our church Through various people in our church. So the vision of our church was given prophetically to multiple people it was confirmed in multiple people but the vision of our church was was given to us prophetically and it was confirmed in scripture the vision of our church is this our vision the vision of desert church is to see dry places saturated with the presence of god that's our heart and when we say dry places we're not only referring to Ephrada and soap lake and moses lake and quincy and the surrounding areas but we're also talking about dry hearts as well that, the, that dry hearts would be saturated with the presence of God. And that word saturated means to, to be so absorbed with water that you can't hold anything else. And our vision is to see people saturated in the presence of God. Their lives just full of life in the presence of God. And so the, the first first picture was given to my wife and I in January. It was during our 21-day prayer and fasting, and I received this mental picture. Some some uh, some people would refer to this as a vision, but it's not like a you're, you're taken to a different place or something is visibly seen, but it's this mental picture that I had of water coming over the top of Beasley Hill. I had this picture of water Cascading over the top of Beasley Hill and flooding this area And I began reading about the history of this area And discovered that the Coulee was formed years ago by glacial flooding And I also discovered that the reason many people settled in Afreda in the first place Was because of a natural spring called Beasley Springs Some of you are probably really familiar with this story had This natural spring called Beasley Springs And there was a creek that used to flow down Division Avenue My neighbor who lives across the street has been here since 1936. He's a wonderful older gentleman. And he told me, he says, I remember there used to be fields here. There was a creek that flowed right down Division Avenue. And once the natural spring dried up, people began moving away until the plans for the Grand Coulee Dam were approved in 1933. But God spoke to me as I got this mental picture of water coming off the top of Beasley. And God said... That I want to flood this place once again but not with physical water I want to flood this place with my spirit I believe that renewal revival is coming to this area church and I know that many churches talk about this but this word has been confirmed by so many people in our church that I believe it in my bones that God wants to do an outpouring here in this small town in the middle of nowhere doesn't it sound like God to do something like that And this word was confirmed by another gentleman in our church who emailed me. And he had this vision. I'm going to read what he emailed me. He said, a man was walking, struggling in a hot, barren desert. He was walking at night. Immediately I knew that he had been lost in the desert for ten days. He had been out of food for seven days and out of water for three days. And he ran out of water. After he ran out of water, he began walking at night to conserve bodily fluids Partially to escape the heat. And on this tenth night, he was climbing a slight rise, and as he topped out, he could see a a fair distance ahead. He saw in his clouded vision what appeared to be a sign. He couldn't quite read what it said, so he trudged on with a slight glimmer of hope. And after several more steps, he could read on the sign two miles ahead with an arrow pointing straight ahead. He couldn't quite read the, the word right above the two miles. And after another 50 steps, he could finally make out the word desert. He fell to his knees and cried out, God, are you going to let me die here? All he could think of was more of this brutal struggle. And the vision stopped right there for a moment. And then it rewound to the place where he was about to top on the hill. And as it was still night, he struggled up to the sign. And he read the word on the sign that said two miles ahead, Oasis. His head raised, his step quickened, and thoughts of water, food, shade, soaking his feet, recovering from his blistered face, possibly even a way out. And and this, this interpretation said this, to me, the man struggling lost in the desert depicts many of the lost right here in our area. They struggled so long. They were almost to the point of giving up, some even to the point of contemplating taking their own life. So the word was that this... Man was struggling in the desert. He found an oasis. It's this idea of God bringing life to dry places. I got an email just a few weeks ago from another gentleman in our church. It said this. In the vision, I saw water bubbling up from the ground in the middle of the sanctuary, in the middle of the desert. And the land around was dry and thirsty. And as water began to move over the dry ground, I saw plants and flowers start to spring up. I watched the bubbling water increase and the flow increasing Flowing in all direction, causing more of the desert to bloom all around its source. These are all people who have not communicated with one another church, but they're being led by the Spirit to share this prophetic word. Here's the last word that we received. Just a few weeks ago, a man who I've never met wandered into our church during the week. I believe it was on a Monday. He comes into the church. Somebody opened up the church for him, and he walks into my office, and he introduces himself, and he says, hey... I am considering moving to this area. The Lord has spoke to my heart and says that he wants to move me somewhere. And as I've been praying about where to go, he told me that he wants me to move here to Afreda. And he said, the Lord spoke Isaiah 43:19 over this place. And little did you know, maybe you know this, but Isaiah 43:19 is our church scripture verse for this season. And it says this, behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And when he said that, I was like, God, you are doing something. This man I've never met has never heard the vision of our church. Doesn't doesn't know what everybody else has spoken. This stranger comes to the church and says, I think this is the word of the Lord for this place. And it brought me so much encouragement. Are you encouraged, church? Church. Do you feel strengthened? Does that bring you comfort? That is the purpose of prophecy. To encourage the body. To build it up. That's the power of prophecy in the church today. Would you stand with me? Next week we're going to talk more about the specific ways that God speaks to each one of us. And what it looks like to model prophecy in a church in a really healthy way. And so I want to pray for you that God would speak to you this week, that his voice would be clear, and that even as he speaks to you, you'd be able to, uh, that the spirit would bring to mind scriptures in his word that confirm what he's saying to you. So can we pray for this together? And if you're willing, if you would like more of this gift, or if you want to hear more of the word of the Lord over your life, would you just put your hands out like this? so that the Holy Spirit can fill you up. Put your hands out like you're receiving a gift. Father, I pray for everyone whose hands are out, who want more. Speak to their hearts. Speak to their spirits. Holy Spirit, communicate in ways that they understand, in ways that are clear. Father, I pray that you would drown out the voice of the world, the voice of the flesh, the voice of the enemy, and tune us into the frequency of heaven That we have all been given the ability to hear the word of the Lord. And I pray, God, that it would be used to strengthen this church, to build this church up. We love you, God. We surrender everything to you. In your name we pray. Amen.